Good evening, everybody. Welcome inside the Villanova Basketball Report. It's live here on Bob Long Sports. My name's Bob Long. Alongside me, Kevin Long, here to break down the Villanova Wildcats week that was and preview what will be a week of two top 15 matchups. You can find us on Twitter at Bob Long Sports, on SoundCloud, and on Facebook, and of course, our YouTube page, all the places where we put our broadcasts on after the fact. But the thing to talk about, I think, here today and to lead off with is a loss to Creighton 76-61 to down at the Wells Fargo Center, a game that, well, coming in, our last idea and our last memory of Creighton was a collapse down the stretch by the Blue Jays in Omaha, a game where Creighton absolutely controlled the vast majority of that game. Villanova struggled offensively in the first half, and then were able to come back with some key threes and key buckets down the stretch from Colin Gillespie and Sadiq Bey, amongst others. Well, this time, much of the same, Kevin. The Wildcats struggled offensively in the first half, and that has been more than a problem just against the Creighton Blue Jays, and then could not find their way back in the second half of the game. The offense was there. The defense, while I think it still played okay, Creighton was able to take advantage, shoot over 50% in the second half, and win that basketball game just too little, too late for the Cats, an early hole dug, tough to find themselves back to the surface. But your thoughts on the week that was here for Villanova? Yeah, and certainly uh, I think we need to give Creighton a lot of credit for the game that they played. Uh, yes, Villanova has come out slow in, in their recent games, but uh, shout out to Creighton. They really had a great game where they got off to a great start. Uh, unlike the first meeting with Villanova, they were able to stave off uh, a late push by Villanova, uh, who really just, again, did not get it going in the first half. 23 points in the first half. Uh, started to figure it out a little bit in the second half, but really only Colin Gillespie was the guy who got going. I'm sorry, Justin Moore also had a, a very good game, possibly his best of his career up until this point. Um, and so those guys put it together a little bit. Uh, not the performance we were expecting from Sadiq Bey and Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Uh, I don't expect to see a lot of that going forward. So overall, that Creighton game does not worry me a whole lot. They need to get better starting off, but going back to earlier in the week, that big win against St. John's, I think that that's more what we've come to expect from this team. I think that we're going to continue to see them get better. Uh, like we're seeing in the Big East right now, we're starting to figure out who the real contenders are, and it looks like Seton Hall and Villanova are those teams, despite the losses at the top in the Big East, including Villanova, Seton Hall, and Butler. I think that uh, especially those two teams, Seton Hall and Villanova, are starting to break themselves apart from the pack in the rest of the Big East. So, uh, you know, to sum it up, really, I, I think that this game, although a lot of people are going to be frustrated by it, it showed some life in the second half, showed what we can do when two of our top players are not at their best. Uh, Colin had another great game. I'm very encouraged by Justin Moore. Uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing Jeremiah and Sadiq get back on track this week. Well, Kevin, you talk about what folks have come to expect from the Villanova Wildcats. How about what they've come to expect from this show? What they might have come to expect is us disagreeing on this very point, and that's what makes it fun. I remain concerned about this basketball team, and we've talked about it a lot. When they were winning basketball games, when they had just the one loss in the Big East, which was against Marquette, prior to this week against Creighton, 
I was expressing significant and I believe legitimate concern about the way this team starts basketball games. And we keep teasing this. We're going to get Derek Gerberich of Stathouse Analytics on, and his website just added a new feature the other day. So coming back next Monday, Monday I'm going to do everything I can to find offensive efficiency broken out by the first five minutes of the basketball game, the next five minutes, the following five minutes, the last five minutes heading into the half, the first five of the second half, the second five of the second half, third and fourth. And I think what we're going to find, and certainly I'll come in mea culpa if this isn't true, is that Villanova is struggling in the beginning of these games. And what I have said from start to finish on this podcast is that the more Villanova starts slow, the more open they are to a big-time scorer coming through and not allowing them to come back. And last Saturday, it was Mitch Ballack, amongst others, that took on that role, a sharpshooting, left-handed, three-point shooter for Creighton. He struggled in the first game in Omaha. However, he went five for seven from beyond the arc and two big threes in the second half that really stymied any momentum that Villanova had. I actually take a little bit of a disagreement even with uh, what you said in the second half. I thought it was an unbelievably impressive second half off offensive effort from this team. 38 points in the second half, and it was, uh, it was actually quite efficient until the last four and a half minutes of the game. I mean crazy efficient in the second half. But Creighton was equally good held off, and then a couple of big threes from Mitch Ballack. And again, those make the difference. You exert so much energy to come back into these games and give them a lot of credit. They did that. You can't get down against a top 25 team like Creighton is. You just can't do it, and uh, and that's why they found themselves in trouble. Yeah, and, and an excellent second half for sure offensively, I, I would say, as a whole. Um, but when you look at two of the guys, like Jeremiah and Sadiq, not the best offensive yep. performance. Yep. Uh, Colin and Justin really just took over in that game, which was great to see, especially for Justin. We, we've come to expect that of Colin. Um, so it was great to see Justin Moore be able to uh, step up into a little bit larger of a role. Feels like he's in that Dante DiVincenzo role right now where he's the sixth man, but really you know, a top two or three guy on this team potentially. Uh, so really encouraged to see how his game is coming along. And uh, as we are going to lead into a little bit later in the show, he has obviously taken into Cole Swider's minutes, although Cole Swider still remains the starter on this team. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And, you know, this upcoming week obviously is a very daunting schedule. And if you look at the four-game stretch starting from Saturday's game against Creighton, going all the way through Seton Hall and Butler and then finally Marquette. Those are probably the next four teams in the Big East, um, you know, without counting Villanova in that mix. So this is really the main stretch of these four games. Uh, we're really going to find out a lot. It was a great effort against Butler a few weeks ago uh, when they kind of got started on this stretch of a bunch of road games. Uh, but now they got some really good opportunities coming up against some really good teams. Opportunities, no doubt about that. Uh, also challenges, and we'll see how they fare in those. The only point of contention I'd say is I would say Justin Moore is, in my mind, pretty clearly the fourth option on this team. Sadiq Bay number one, Colin Gillespie number two. I'd still put Jeremiah Robinson, although his 
offensive performances have been up and down. He contributes both on the offensive and defensive end quite well. Justin Moore has been really good in spurts, and again, I think is a future and current star in this Villanova basketball program, a guy that they are really lucky to have and will be great. I think of him as the fourth option. Again, probably not a huge point of contention whatsoever between second or third or, say, fourth, but a second guard option in an already late backcourt from a true point guard perspective is absolutely huge for this team. They need him. I don't know where they'd be. Uh, we talked about last week where they would be without Sadiq Bey. You know, in a game like Saturday, it would have been a lot worse without a guy named Justin Moore. And the last point I'd make to your point is Sadiq Bey. And I think you'll agree with this one, but I don't really worry whatsoever about his effort. He created what I thought, generally speaking, were good looks, got to the lane when he needed to, a lot of back iron layups or pull-ups that we've seen him hit in the past. And maybe the thought, and I've seen this from competing podcasts and competing Nova outlets, that uh, you know he didn't take as good of shots. Let's not go there. He takes and makes a lot of difficult shots each and every game. Shots where you say, wow, okay. Also, wow. <laughs> wow that you took it. Wow that it went down. And uh, they just didn't go down on Saturday. You have to take the good with the bad there for Sadiq Bey because he is so talented and makes those shots. And quite simply because Villanova doesn't have enough guys to truly spread the floor the way they did in 2018 and get more uncontested looks. He has to be the Eric Paschal where he's taking and making difficult shots. And I'm not too worried about what we saw on Saturday from him. He's the lifeblood of this team, and he'll be fine. Yeah, absolutely. No argument there. I think that he is absolutely fine. If anything, that was more just pointing out that it was not his best game. But, yeah, like you said, he has the ability to take and make very difficult shots, and a lot of that is coming from his length that he has. You know, he's a – you know, probably a future three and D type player in the NBA. And, you know, with probably about a six, nine, six, 10 wingspan and uh, with the ability to dribble the ball, that's, that's a tough combination that not a lot of college athletes are able to handle. So you're either putting a guard on him that can stay with him and is uh, quick enough, but not tall enough, or, you know, you got a big that can't necessarily keep up with his speed. So uh, a very lethal combination that Sadiq has and, Uh, You know, certainly no concern over the game uh, on Saturday against Creighton. Yeah, and so not to beat the dead horse, but for me, the big key going into this weekend's games is can Villanova start off better? Because if they cannot, Butler has the scores. Kamar Baldwin has been really good down the the stretch recently in his recent games. Uh, Miles Powell has not been as great recently. In his last time out against Xavier, only nine points and he struggled in nearly nearly a full 40 minutes of action, just a couple minutes less. That's a guy, though, that you know can go off and you know will go off. That is a front court that you know will put multiple seven-footers out there on the floor. Seton Hall now I'm talking about. And you know that that's going to be a challenge for Villanova, who runs six eight six nine out there into their front court. And, and it's been very successful this year, but they haven't seen many teams, if any, with the size of Seton Hall, and I think that's going to be a serious problem. On Butler's side, the last thing I'll say, Mitch Ballack, we talked about how good he was with Creighton this time around, how bad he was in Omaha. Carbon copy, Sean McDermott for Butler, a guy that was 0 for 7 from deep against Villanova when they played at the Pavilion. Well, he's going back to Hinkle. We saw Mitch Ballack light it up. He cost Villanova that game in many ways against Creighton. 
Can Sean McDermott rejuvenate himself against the Cats the second time around? And I can promise you that if they start the way they have, McDermott hitting daggers in the second half can be something that puts them over the top. Yeah, I can almost guarantee you that Sean McDermott is going to have something different to say when, when they come out there to Butler. Um, so I definitely wouldn't rely on that happening. And, uh, you know, going back to what you're saying about the slow starts, you wonder if Jay is starting to think about making a change. Now, Jay has always had his guy, his sixth man, who he trusts coming off the bench, especially right now when your sixth man is a ball handler and Justin Moore when you really don't have anyone besides Colin or Justin. So you need at least one of them on the floor at any given time. You really can't withstand any significant amount of time without both those guys on the floor. So Jay Wright trying to stagger those guys a little bit, maybe having Justin Moore come off the bench. But do you try to put Justin Moore out there in the starting lineup to get him a little bit more run, a little bit more time out there, and we get off to a, a little stronger start? And, you know, the other piece of that is, well, who are you sitting on the bench? I, I think there's there's really no debate that that guy that's struggling is Cole Swider, but what does that do to his mentality at the end of the day? What does that do for him going down the stretch? Does he lose all confidence in any uh, potential he had for contributing this year? Is that over because he's, you know, in his head now and he's a little bit concerned about his roster spot moving forward or at least his role on this team? So, uh, a lot of things for Jay to consider and how that will affect this team at the end of the day. I think given Jay's track record, I think he's going to give Cole his chance to maintain his position and probably keep boosting him up by keep running him out there. Uh, but at some point, you have to say that, you know, this is just not the year. This is not going to be Cole's breakout year. And, you know, if we need to get off to a, a faster start, we need Justin Moore in the lineup earlier in these games, probably in the starting lineup. At some point, what you're saying is Cole Swider becomes Demir Cosby Roundtree because that's exactly what happened with Roundtree. I mean, and exactly as you described it. He continued to put him out there at the tail end of last year, and it just did not happen for him. And Demir Cosby Roundtree is now a guy playing six minutes a game in times where there's a guy in foul trouble or a specific situation where you just need a few minutes of a big in there. And I don't know what the future is for Cole Swider. What I do know is he's a phenomenal shooter, and he's a guy that the moment he stepped on campus, and he was really struggling last year as a freshman. And what I said was, and you, I'm sure you remember this from discussions in past shows and from when he was a freshman on the team, Chris Jenkins. He really struggled from beyond the arc in his first stage of his Villanova career. And I said... Just watch that this guy, he just is a little bit slow right now, is a little bit lacking in confidence. But when he is able to speed up to the game and the game slows down to him, he's going to be a dynamite shooter. I feel the same way about Cole Swider. And I actually think that from a shooting perspective, he has been okay this year. The difference, and we'll talk about this in our V's and O's today, is he is 100% and completely a liability defensively. And we'll talk about all the ways that he gets beaten. We're going to talk about size. We're going to talk about positioning. And we're going to talk about anticipatory pressures that he puts himself under that allows him to leave the floor before he should or take a chance for a steal where he should not. And, and that's something where a bigger, stronger defender and quicker, a guy that can 
get back into the play after taking a chance can be successful. We're going to show you why that's not possible for him. And so it's kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. Staying in position, he can get backed down. Taking a chance, you can kiss the opportunity goodbye. And he, that is where the confidence issues, in my estimation, are coming from because he's a liability defensively and he knows that his time on the floor is limited. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of a chicken or the egg here thing. I mean, I think that he was playing not great defense but better defense earlier in the year obviously was shooting the ball a lot better earlier in the year. And whether it was the defense slipping first or the shot slipping a little bit, all of a sudden the game speeds up on you when you're thinking too much and you're thinking about, you know, oh, I, I can't hit this shot. I'm, I'm just not – I don't have it today. Or, um, you know, I can't keep up with this guy. I can't defend him. I'm having a lot of trouble. Then you take that down the other end of the floor. It affects you on that end of the floor, and, and it's just sort of – piled up on him it seems at this point and it really for me culminated at the very end of the game on Saturday when he was dribbling the ball you know Villanova down by 10 or 15 whatever at that point and uh, you know 30 seconds left and he just carries the the ball just essentially slips out over his hand gets called for uh, you know senseless carry and he just seemed at that point to have lost all confidence in himself so uh, I, I think that that's why I see Jay being a little bit more careful with him at this point in terms of what he does with him in the starting lineup because I see him as, as being at an all-time low right now in his confidence in his career. And like you said, uh, an incredibly pure shot that he has. He clearly has the goods. He has that Chris Jenkins shot in him just struggling with the confidence, which is enough to cripple anyone in sports. Honestly, it doesn't matter how good you are. If you can't get your mind right, there's there's no way to come back from that. So, uh, you know, he's a guy that we need. He's he's a big shooter that we're going to need. You know, him and Sadiq Bey and Colin and, and Justin, we need those guys to shoot the ball. Uh, so, you know, I hope that we can bring him back from that and hopefully get him back to, you know, where he was in the beginning of the year. The only thing I'd add to that entire soliloquy there is I don't know that he was ever playing even okay defense at the beginning of the year, but film study is a hell of a thing. And so other teams, this is a sophomore that didn't play a ton last year. Other teams saw the Ohio State film. Other teams saw film of him early in games and decided we will attack Cole Swider in the post. And the best example is the first game against Butler. When they came out, Villanova started Cole Swider and Butler went to two different guys right in the post. Both of them, whoever was the guy that Cole Swider was guarding was where the ball went. Everybody cleared out. They went to town, and it went to, ended up being easy buckets to begin the game. Jay called timeout. He didn't play the rest of the first half. That has happened more and more when Cole Swider is on the floor. So I don't know that he was playing better defense at the beginning of the year. In fact, I would contend that he was a liability from the start, and other teams used film to figure out ways to exploit it. And now it's either you have to get better because your secret's out or you're not going to play. And that's a concerning and disappointing thing for a guy that, like you said, I think could be a third or fourth shooter on the floor at any given time for this team, spread the floor and make the offense hum better. Yeah, and on the same note as you know, watching film on the other end of the floor, he's also a one-trick pony. Guys know that he's not necessarily the best at putting the ball right. on the floor and going right. to the basket. And so what teams are doing is automatically closing out on him. They'll 
close right out on the shot and say, you know, beat me around the corner on the dribble to the basket. We'll let you do that, but we're going to close out and not let you take that three. And I think that that has really crippled him as well because, you know, his his ball handling still has a little ways to go. So he needs to figure out that next piece of his game to help him uh, open up that three-point shot again for himself. All right, I feel like we do this every show, Kev. We get to this point about 20 minutes in where we're just absolutely crushing this team and all the issues that they have, and maybe because that's just a little bit easier to do. Uh, But again, I I can't say it enough. I do believe that this team has systemic issues that will lead to them unless something changes being an early out in March. But Jay has done an amazing job coaching this team. I don't think this team is number 10 in the country talented. They only dropped two spots. Again, a little bit surprised by that. But also, we also do this every week, who is good in college basketball? Nobody is actually good this year. At least it wouldn't appear. Your player of the year candidate is Luke Garza from Iowa. By the way, tremendous player. Went and saw him in person at the Plestra. I've had the opportunity to watch Fran's club out there at Iowa uh, a bunch this year. He is absolutely fantastic. But compare that to the last two years, Zion Williamson and Trey Young. What a different year in college basketball this is. And so as a result, yeah, a loss against Creighton. And by the way, Creighton's a very good team. Uh, you know, had, had a conversation with a few Villanova fans that I think thought this loss was a little bit worse than it actually was. I'm here to tell you, this is not a bad loss against Creighton. It's the way that they lost that's extremely concerning that they're having long stretches of offensive struggles and then long stretches of offense, offensive efficiency. The question is, how do you do it for 40 minutes? If that can happen, then I think this team absolutely can make a run. It's just it's been a long time coming, and we need to see some serious improvements quickly. So anyway, back to the point. Villanova is having a very good year relative to the youth of their team and the talent on their team, I think, at this point, and how well it's developed thus far. Jay Wright's done an excellent job. And also, I think you have to give a lot of credit to Sadiq Bey and Colin Gillespie taking on Phil Booth and Eric Paschal-type roles from last year, taking a higher, relatively, portion of the shots relative to their teammates, but also the talent behind them is better than it was last year, and I think Colin Gillespie a bit more unselfish than Phil Booth, and as well as Eric Paschal played last year, <laughs> as well as he's playing in the NBA, Sadiq Bey is a better college basketball player right now than Eric was last year, which is crazy considering you have a potential rookie of the year in the NBA. Yeah, absolutely. He's having a great year. But you know, back to your earlier point, if you think about last year where we were at this point, and this was about the time where Colin Gillespie was making that transition from that one guard to the two guard right. because yes. he couldn't necessarily facilitate the game the way Jay needed him to. So, Phil was forced back into that position, and now all of a sudden Colin Gillespie is, I believe, the unquestioned star on this team in terms of a college basketball talent. He is leading this team in every sense of the word, and you know this is a guy coming into the season that we didn't know what to expect from him. You know He shot the ball well down the stretch. He's a pretty good ball handler, but we didn't know that he would be able to lead this team in right. the way that he is doing. And, uh, you know, Sadiq Bay, the other guy that you mentioned, he was a freshman. He certainly came out and played better his freshman year than any of us really expected. But, you know, who would have expected him to come out and light the world on fire and, you know, fight for 
possibly a first-round pick now. Uh, I b- believe he was listed in the top 25 for the Wooden Award. So really a whole lot of surprises coming out where we thought that this was maybe a team that would be ready next year with no seniors this year. You lose Javon Quinterly, who was supposed to be your main ball handler coming into this year, supposed to take Colin Gillespie's spot. A lot of people didn't know what would end up happening to him, quite honestly. So, uh, you know, I think Colin took that with, you know, a little bit of a chip on his shoulder and said, you know, go watch me, see what I can prove to you. So uh, didn't know what we'd get in the freshman class. You know, you're not sure what you got in sophomores like Brandon Slater and Cole Swider. And so who who knew what was going to come out of this season? I don't think that any of us would be very surprised if we were sitting right now on the bubble or, or maybe just off the bubble, honestly. I don't think I would be that surprised. But the fact of the matter is Jay Wright has this team in the top ten. Uh, this league is at an all-time high in terms of parity right now in college basketball. So a lot of opportunities. Virginia is looks like they're among the first four out at this point. North Carolina nowhere in sight. Wow. So yeah. it's you know, it's a crazy year and the fact that Jay Wright has this team where he has them when, you know, great coaches like Bennett and Roy Williams do not have their teams uh, where they'd like him to be. That just speaks a lot to Jay and the job that he has done with this team. Yeah, no, totally agree. Back to Colin Gillespie, a guy who has made a huge jump from his sophomore to his junior year, as you just depicted. We're blessed with the benefit of being here in Philadelphia. Gillespie went to Archbishop Wood. And we both follow high school basketball. Bob Long Sports is an institution, is a big part of high school basketball here in Philadelphia, specifically the Catholic League. Colin Gillespie's jump from his junior to senior year in college is a lot like what we've seen from his jump from sophomore to junior year. And I say this all the time on this show, at least once per year. He had the single best performance that I've ever seen a high school player have in any sport in any one game when he went for 44 points against a Demir Cosby Roundtree and Quad A Green-led Newman Goretti team that was thought to be not only the best team in the state, but one of the best teams in the country. And that was one of twice that Archbishop Wood beat Newman Goretti that season. And that day, Jay Wright was in the building, and I love thinking, wow, this kid can play, and wow, Jay Wright has to be happy to have witnessed what he just witnessed outplaying a thought-to-be one-and-done Quad A Green who was going to Kentucky. Obviously, that all of that seemed to change with Quad A, but does not take away from that performance for Colin. And we're seeing more of the same. The game against Creighton in Omaha. Big, big game for Colin Gillespie. He always seems to hit those big shots. Does get the pocket pick just a bit more than I'd like to see. But again, a tremendous leader across college basketball, a tremendous point guard, and will go down as one of the all-time greats in Villanova history. Yeah, and, and you look back at that game and you think, you know, what what a performance by Colin. A lot of people didn't expect it, but look where he is compared to those other guys right. you just mentioned. Yes. You know, Quade Green or, or Colin Gillespie. I, I would take Colin Gillespie all day. And, you know, obviously Demir Cosby Roundtree having his struggles right now with Villanova. So, uh, really, that was more of a sign of things to yeah. come. You uh, never would have known it at the time, too. I mean, the hype behind Quade was so immense at the time you never would have known because quad a had a great game as well yeah and oh. you just never would have known what was coming yeah i mean how many times do you see kids from this area going to kentucky i mean that is that is a story in itself you know you, you 
you know, maybe get that once every five, 10 years, maybe. So uh, clearly a, a great talent in Quade Green and, and Colin Gillespie, just having a ton of success at the college level, really adapted well. And yeah, absolutely. I, I would agree that I think he, he will go down as one of the greats uh, at Villanova. I, I think that his overall game is better than than a lot of guys that we've seen. If you if you take Ryan Arch for for instance in this scenario, uh, I think that his shooting is is better than uh, Ryan Arch. He was more of a facilitator that that shot when he needed to. Yep. Uh, but Colin has a better overall game. So you know he Arch is one of the most beloved guys in Villanova basketball history. But I completely agree with you when you say when it's all said and done, he will be a, a better player. Uh, in the history books for this team. Yeah, and maybe from a statistics perspective, I, I do think that Arch winning in 2016 and everything that people talk about with rejuvenating the program in 2013, that's not to take away from any of that, will still vault people. In people's minds, I think they'll have Arch above Colin, but I do believe that you're right in terms of the points and the the impact in terms of some of the maybe less talented teams than uh, than Arch's final two years, yeah, absolutely. I think Colin Gillespie's going to be right there, and in many ways his game is better. I do believe that Ryan Archdiakno, and Colin certainly has a year and a half left, but finished a better ball handler, more sure of himself, and more protective of the basketball, less turnovers, etc. That's the sense, without going back and looking at all the numbers. But that is my strong sense that Archie Diakono still has the edge over Colin from a not getting your pocket picked and a pure facilitation perspective. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, and the other thing I would add is that, um, you know, Ryan Arch in his final two years certainly had uh, a little bit more talent around him yes. to help him out. Yes. A few more ball handlers in particular. Uh, because, again, I think that this Villanova team is very talented. It's just a struggle when it's not Justin Moore or Colin Gillespie bringing up the ball, you're not you know, 100% sure of anyone else carrying that ball up. So having other guys that you can rely on like Arch did was, was definitely more helpful for him. But uh, I, I would agree with you, Ryan, was a little bit more of a sure ball handler. You felt like you knew what you were getting from him, and uh, you know he was a solid guy you knew was not turning over the ball. Interesting that you bring that up, too, because we had a discussion at the game itself about – this team, and you made the comment that you think they're a bit more talented than, than I probably do at this point. And uh, it brought up a discussion of, say, the 2006 team, a team that never made the Final Four, a team that was the resurgence of Villanova, Randy Foy, Alan Ray, Curtis Sumter, etc. Which team would you take from a talent relative to college basketball perspective? And I probably know which way you're going to go because we got into it a little bit at the game, but I think it's good podcast forum discussion. Which team would you take in the college basketball landscape, 2006 team or the 2020 team? Well, I think there are multiple factors that you got to look at when you're making that type of a decision. I think if you look at it from a talent pers perspective, I would no question take the 2006 team. You okay. Talk about a t yep. team with Randy Foy, Mike Nardi, Kyle Lowry, Alan Ray, Curtis Sumter. I mean, these are all – very, very talented guys, uh, but you also take a head coach in Jay Wright with 14 years less experience, two less national championships, 
you don't have anyone on the team that has been in those big moments before. A lot of these guys have been uh, either on that 2018 national championship team or uh, around those guys in Phil Booth and Eric Paschal last year that helped them to understand what that moment was like. So when you take everything as a whole, and if you're taking into account the college landscape in that day and age, I think 2006 was probably better in terms of uh, overall, I think there's a lot of parity today, but there were uh, some teams that were head and shoulders above the rest. So I would look, compared to the rest of the league, I would take this team right now, 2019-2020. Uh, obviously, they've been at the top, around the top 10 all year. Uh, and I think, you know, Colin and Sadiq are two heck players. They're, they're incredible right now. They're they're really leading this team in so many ways. And you got some great supporting casts in Justin Moore and Jermaine Samuels and Jeremiah Robinson Earl, where we have come to expect more in the past, in the past three years where we've had four guys go to the NBA and, you know, another two guys go to the NBA. And uh, all of a sudden now we got, you know, 10 guys in the NBA where we had two maybe four years ago. So I think that we've come to expect a higher level of play. But when you really take it back to some of those earlier teams before we were winning national championships, I think this team is right up there in terms of, uh, you know, putting them next to the 2006, 2009 teams. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, I, I think we see that one a little bit differently as we talked about over the weekend. But that 2006 team, to me, was every bit as good as the 2009 team that made the Final Four, if not better. Um, maybe not quite as good as the 2016 team that won the national championship, and then certainly not as good as perhaps the best college basketball team that I've seen in my lifetime, which would be the 2018 Villanova Wildcats. But it's just an interesting discussion. So many of those guys will have their numbers retired before it's all said and done. I think the number is three currently. And, you know, who knows the longer Mike Nardi coaches. But, again, coaching would have something to do with that. But Alan Ray, Randy Floyd, Kyle Lowry. Uh, I don't know if Lowry's number is actually retired yet, but if it isn't, it will and he donated to the locker room, and he's a huge part of the program. That will happen if it hasn't. Uh, that team, you know, who would be the three guys here? Gillespie, Sadiq Bey, if he stays for a long enough time, and then potentially Jeremiah or, or Justin if they were to stay long enough. Maybe those would be the guys that would have their numbers retired at the end of this this run, this team. It's just an interesting discussion to try to put it in perspective. And again, to ask that question to you now versus the end of the next four games, maybe I'll come back in three weeks and ask you the same question because to bring it all back to where we're going, an absolutely essential stretch for this team as they take on Butler at Hinkle on Wednesday, Seton Hall travels to the Pavilion, and then the next week's very difficult as well with other top teams across the league. Yeah, and actually Seton Hall, I believe, uh, Wells Fargo, right? That's Just right. Make sure no one, no one's going to the wrong place. Did I there, say Pavilion? You did say Pavilion. Uh, it's so. a force of habit. I forgot yeah, they played exactly. half their games at the Wells Fargo Center now. Yeah, exactly. Now that we have our brand-new Pavilion, and still playing half the games at the Wells Fargo. Yeah, but, yeah, you know, they should have a regional in Philadelphia every year so that <laughs> Villanova just has to put more of their games at the uh, at the Pavilion in hopes that they can have a – an NCAA tournament round uh, that they play there. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, back to the 
I'll, I'll quickly hit on the discussion of the the 2016 before I go to next week. Uh, Kyle Lowry was not you know the superstar coming out of Villanova that he is today. So uh, the other thing to remember, a lot of people he was electric think, though. I yeah, mean, I mean you think like oh wow you know this this NBA All Star. Uh, he was the best player on the team. I mean, it was it was head and shoulders. Randy Foy. I agree. Randy Foy was the one drafted number four overall, and Kyle Lowry was drafted somewhere in the middle of the second round. So, um, you know, he wasn't necessarily the most, uh, I would say, highly touted prospect coming out of Villanova. He only stayed two years, so we we got just a little bit of him. Got to see a little bit of what he did. Uh, did not really. Uh, generate his shoot his shot until he got to the nba uh but you know obviously could get to the bucket like like no one else really could on that team so um you know just wrapping up that conversation and then huge week this week for this team uh butler it'll be interesting to see what they can do going to butler uh they certainly handled their business here uh in villanova at the pavilion um and then seton hall is going to be a great test uh, they're going to be fired up after their loss on Saturday. They're going to be ready to go. Like you said, I'm not sure how this front court uh, will be handled by Villanova. You're probably going to see Robinson Earl and, and Samuels on those guys, uh, but but the size is going to be a difficult uh, task for them to handle. So it'll be interesting to see how these guys pan out against probably the next two best teams in the Big East this week. But uh, I know they're looking forward to the challenge, and, and I know they're up for it, quite honestly. I have mentioned this over the past few weeks that I think that Seton Hall, if I had to pick one team right now to win the national championship, I'm picking Seton Hall to win the national championship. I think they're that good. Out of the Big East or, or anywhere, are they are they your pick? They're my pick. Your pick. I think this team is so good, and a loss on Saturday doesn't – I don't take too much uh, of an issue with that. I want to see if Villanova can hang. Butler, a game on the road, I think they can win, but they have to be really rock solid to go out there and win. Kamar Baldwin had a great second half, really struggled in the first. We mentioned Sean McDermott being uh, a non-factor, in fact, a liability for Butler against Villanova. That will all change. Villanova had a, a great second half and a, a nice late spurt in the first. Let's see if they can put 40 minutes together and be consistent. One guy that may or may not be a part of that, Cole Swider. And we'll talk about him on the other side. We go to the whiteboard, break down what's called our V's and O's segment. It's an X's and O's segment, but we're not giving Xavier any love. It's a V's and O's segment. We'll get that together. Should be a good part of the show. Appreciate everybody being with us here today. He's Kevin Long. I'm Bob Long. Again, you can catch us on Twitter. That's at Bob Long Sports on Facebook. And on YouTube, of course, our SoundCloud page. For those of you that like the audio feeds to our broadcast, you can listen on the way or at home uh, coming home from work. So lots of ways to get involved with us here at Bob Long Sports. Stay with us, and we'll be right back. Dunphy Ford is Mayfair's neighborhood Ford store. Nobody knows your neighborhood like Dunphy Ford. Nearly 40 years. Right here on Frankfurt Avenue. Generation after generation, our neighbors continue to be our customers. We have access to the cars and trucks you want with financing you need. Dumpy Ford is Northeast Philly's first choice for America's number one brand. 7700 Frankfurt Avenue in Mayfair. Online at www.dumpyford.com. Come experience the Dumpy difference. You'll be glad you did. 
Welcome back into the Villanova Basketball Report. Bob Long here, Kevin Long, and now we bring you to the whiteboard where we take you through one aspect of Villanova basketball, and we call it V's and O's. Today, it's all about Cole Swider, and we're trying to figure out what exactly is going on with him defensively. He's been a total liability defensively. The question is why. Well, it's, it's, it's really a couple of things. The first is a general toughness. The second is anticipation. And the third is timing. And honestly, all of those things are really interrelated. So let's take a look at Cole Swider on the inside portion of the, uh, of the floor. So he's going to play defense here. And let's put Caleb Wesson, big man, Ohio State, back to the basket, strong, powerful guy. Well, if Cole Swider is here playing just with his back to, with his uh, body to the defender, his back to the basket, well, Caleb Wesson just bigger, tougher, and he's able just with power dribbles to create space to push Cole Swider back. And this is about as simple an explanation as we can get, but able to just push him inside and finish. Well, okay. How do you defend against something like that? Well, you don't let him catch the ball here, right? You try to push him out and have him catch the ball out here, create help, etc. Well, Cole Swider, this gets to the anticipation side of things. Swider, let's just say he shoots, and let's say he hits a three on this side of the floor, and now he's coming back down the floor. Well, if a big man like Caleb Wesson is cycling down here and beats Cole Swider down the floor, all of a sudden he can set up position ahead of time, and Cole Swider is now essentially left out to dry. And, and if he catches the ball, Wesson or any other big that's tougher, bigger than Swider in this area, then all of a sudden he's in trouble. He's not going to be able to defend, and it's an easy bucket. And we talk about this all the time across basketball circles with big men in general, doing the work ahead of time. And most of the time that's talking about the offensive player, right? Doing the work when the ball is not in your hands to create a seal. Let's say it's Swider now face guarding here. Well, Caleb Wesson can create the seal here, force the ball in over the top, and Cole Swider now has no chance, or any other defender. We talk about offensive big men doing the work without the ball to create position, and by the time you receive it, it's too late for the defender to do anything. So those are some of the things that Cole Swider needs to now work hard on the defensive side to prevent from happening. And I haven't seen enough of that. So that's the timing side. We talk about toughness. We talk about anticipation. Well, now let's talk about timing here. So we're going to now take a Cole Swider guarding, say, a stretch four. Here, Swider here. What we've seen is that Swider doesn't have the footwork or the quickness to stay with an opposing offensive player laterally. So let's take a look at the Creighton game. Guys were able to blow by Cole Swider, I think about a specific example late in the game. The other pop position was going from left to right, as you see it on your television. And Swider was just a half step late. Wasn't quick, wasn't anticipating, didn't have the defensive timing to be able to stay with this player. So Swider, to his credit, did everything he could to get back into this play. He's essentially a half step behind and is sprinting to get right here to prevent a dunk. So what does this offensive player do? Head fake right there. Cole Swider was so far off balance and so far out of the play, he jumped in the air, flew by, and then just a pivot step and a lay-in at that point. 
from Creighton. And this is really applicable for any type of wing player that Cole Swider has to guard. He needs to be in a defensive position. and needs to get better footwork to be able to stay with somebody either off the dribble or on a step back. So again, toughness, anticipation, and timing. Cole Swider has struggled with all three things defensively. He's been a complete liability, and we mentioned this in the first part of the show. It's about film study. We asked the question, did he just regress defensively? No, he's the same defender. But when a team pulls up Ohio State film and Caleb Wesson is here setting up position and just bullying Cole Swider into the basket, spacing the floor and letting him go to work. When they pull up film against Creighton and Cole Swider is getting beaten here from the outside, and excuse me as I lost my pen, that wasn't good anticipation, was it? And then he's getting to the basket here and Swider's a step late. Well, okay, they're reading that film. And when they're understanding that Cole Swider isn't doing the work ahead of time to shove his player out here, and before they ever come down the floor to meet them here and not let them get to this area, well, when teams see that, they're going to take advantage of it. And Swider has been a defensive liability. Only time will tell whether he actually can spend time on the floor for his offensive prowess or if the defensive liability is too much of a deterrent to actually take his value away on the floor. So when you're watching Cole Swider on the floor, if we get enough time to see him, he needs more toughness. That's really difficult. That's going to take another offseason at least. Anticipation, something that you can work on, but again, it's, it's, it's very difficult. And then timing, well, he just needs to be a little bit bouncier, a little bit quicker. All those things are going to be very difficult to fix. So I'm not necessarily putting solutions here on the board. But this is the problem from a Cole Swider perspective and a reason why he's been a liability on the floor defensively. And that's our V's and O's segment here on the Villanova Basketball Report. We'll come back on the other side. Bob Long, Kevin Long here from Bluebell. Stay with us. Dunphy Ford is Mayfair's neighborhood Ford store. Nobody knows your neighborhood like Dunphy Ford. Nearly 40 years. Right here on Frankfurt Avenue. Generation after generation, our neighbors continue to be our customers. We have access to the cars and trucks you want with financing you need. Dumpy Ford is Northeast Philly's first choice for America's number one brand. 7700 Frankfurt Avenue in Mayfair. Online at www.dumpyford.com. Come experience the Dumpy difference. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back inside the Villanova Basketball Report. Bob Long, Kevin Long here. And we head towards our final segment of the show. And it's one of our favorites. Cats. In the Wild, where we take a look at one Villanova Wildcat that has been succeeding in the NBA and break that down for everybody. And for more of that, here's Kevin Long. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate that. Well, in our uh, Cats in the Wild segment here, which we proclaim to be better than the, I believe they say, Villanova players in the NBA during the timeouts, which we'll get to that later. I, That's I'm very right. excited for that show that you and Tom teased a few weeks ago. But yes, we need to do it when we have everybody here in studio. Oh, absolutely. And obviously K-Mac in, in his Baltimore studios. Uh, That's love right. to have him on. Uh, the so Baltimore studios. What have happened to those things? I tell you what, he, he, I think he'll be back next week, though. Uh, we've been hearing that each week. <laughs> <laughs> Gauntlet has been laid, Kevin McLernand, anyway. our long-lost co-host. <laughs> We miss you. Anyway, Jalen Bronson is our cat in the wild this week. Last week, he had a 27-point performance, eight assists, four rebounds, 
Uh, a guy that was not necessarily getting a whole lot of time this year. He has a similar season trajectory that he had last year where he's playing about 18 minutes a game right now, uh, but that is starting to pick up as we get later and later in the season. Uh, the Mavericks had a few injuries which propelled him into that role last year, but this year seems to be doing it of his own volition. He seems to just be earning more time for himself and uh, having some success out there. So really happy for him at this point. Uh, the last four games he's played 25, 20, 27, 31 minutes, uh, putting up good points right now, uh, averaging somewhere in the 16, 17 points a game range. So uh, really excited for him. Obviously, one of those guys that was a big part of that 2018 team uh, but was drafted last among the four guys to come out wasn't necessarily viewed as a huge prospect. He was a 6'1 guy that played like he was 6'10. So, uh, obviously, he, he found a way to make that work in the NBA, and, and it's great to see him having some success early in his career. Fantastic player. Best point guard in the history of the program, Jalen Brunson, without a doubt. And I am happy to see him playing well. It does not surprise me, I can tell you that. Yeah, it was never the traditional guy, the traditional point guard, which is why I think a lot of teams passed on him early. They thought that, you know, maybe the, the quickness or the agility wasn't there. You, you look at a Dante DiVincenzo and, you know, he's got an extra spring in his step, a little quicker, uh, maybe even has, has a better shot at times. But Jalen Brunson just proving that his, his basketball IQ really is what can carry him and and take his game above the rest in his class. I totally agree with you. Yeah, that's a great choice for this week's Cat in the Wild. Stay in touch with Jalen Brunson and keep up with all the Villanova Wildcats that are out there in the NBA, and we'll do our best to keep you apprised every week, as long as Kevin's here at least. Absolutely, as long as I'm here. And and while we're speaking of Cat in the Wild, congratulations to Eric Paschal being selected to the Futures game on the on the rookie team where they – they obviously have the rookies versus the, the sophomores, they call them, the second-year guys. So uh, really excited to see Eric get that opportunity to play with the rookie team in an All-Star weekend. How unbelievable is that? Especially given where the Warriors were even just last season to think that Eric Paschal was going to come in and contribute to this team. Now, I know that they're not having the year that they've had in the past, but the Golden State Warriors, if you told me last year that Eric Pascal was going to be a major contributor to that team, I would not have believed you. It, it is pretty unbelievable, and it's pretty unbelievable to look back at some of these teams going back to 2016 before he started playing, But uh, and all the guys that we mentioned that have been drafted in that time, and none have had the success that Eric Pascal has had in his first year, or really at all in their career up to this point. And every one of those guys in 2018 left early. Eric Pascal was the one that stayed. That's not to say that Eric made the right decision and those guys did not. It's just that other teams thought enough of those guys to pull them out of school early, and mm -hmm. Eric maybe not so. Absolutely. And a guy that we all remember started at Fordham. I mean, that that's just incredible in itself. A guy that starts at Fordham is now having a significant role on the Golden State Warriors, which – they obviously are not the team that they have been in years past without, you know, Steph Curry and Clay injured and, and Durant gone. But, uh, you know, incredible to see him have this level of success. But, you know, I, I think that you know, what you're alluding to is that, you know, a guy like him getting that opportunity, it does give him a better chance to get into a game like that where you look at, 
you know, if you take the Sixers, for instance, you know, Matisse Thibel, not saying that he's the player that Eric Pascal is right now, but not getting the opportunity that Eric has had because he's on, on a team like the Golden State Warriors, which can give him that opportunity. Yep. So Eric really came into a perfect situation where a team is probably temporarily not where they want to be, but next year we'll probably be right back there. And hopefully by then he's worked himself into a position where he's a starter. No kidding. Wouldn't that be something if he becomes a Draymond Green type? That would be pretty unbelievable. I mean, hey, Minus you surround- the attitude, ego, and everything else. But you surround uh, Eric Pascal with those three guys in Green, Thompson, and Curry. And, yep. you know, it could be a really promising career or at least right. starts his career for Eric. But I'm talking about Pascal, a guy that can pass it pretty well, a big, bulky guy. Uh, he, he can play a similar type role to Draymond Green. Probably, oh, probably can be a better shooter. And can move a, probably a little bit better than he can as well. I would think so. Pretty wild. Uh, the other thing I'll just musing here that I'll leave out there is, what if you switch those? And the answer is probably no. There was a whole bunch of factors. He was off the charts in the in the combine. DiVincenzo. Now I'm going to be getting to, but reverse the national semifinals with the national championship game. You know where I'm going with this. Absolutely. If Dante DiVincenzo beats Michigan in the national semifinal and scores 31 points, and then Eric Paschal scores, I want to say, 27 points and beats Kansas in the national championship, are their fates reversed or are their fates a bit different heading into that NBA draft where obviously Eric Paschal stays, Dante DiVincenzo, who was a bench player for Villanova, goes and he was the star of that national championship with all the spotlights on him? I don't know. The national semifinal gets a whole bunch of lights and eyes and attention as well. It's just it's just a question to leave. It, it really is an interesting question, one that I hadn't necessarily considered before. I mean, you know, think about Dante DiVincenzo, and he was shooting the lights out in that game, and, and Eric, you know, he, he shot very well, but he found some other ways to score in that game. And similar to Dante, an athletic, off-the-charts type guy where he's he's got that spring in his step and he's extremely explosive, both of those guys. So I think if Eric had taken a chance and, and maybe gone to the combine and, and seen what he had in them, I think a lot of people would have been impressed by the, his yep. athleticism and I could see him being a first-round guy, getting a nod over a guy like Jalen Brunson. And uh, so interesting point that you bring up and and something we'll honestly never know the answer to yep i should go back and just make two hours worth an hour and a half worth of time to go back and watch that villanova kansas game i'm sure we've all seen replays of the michigan game but that was a special performance not just from eric pascal but from that entire villanova wildcats team against an unbelievably explosive Kansas team. They ended up only losing that game by 16 points. And I say only because Villanova was so good that night, and there were very few teams that could have beaten them that evening, if anybody. The way they started out, 22-4, to I want to say at the first under mm-hmm. under timeout, you know, media timeout. Uh, but, man, I, I would like to go back and watch that game again at some point. But Eric Paschal... Maybe a cat uh, in the wild in the future. I am sure that the more he plays, maybe maybe right after the futures, maybe we can break that on down. No doubt, he certainly provide a lot of opportunities, and uh, you know, a couple guys in Mikhail and Jalen have snuck in some very good performances. So need to give their credit where credit is due. That's right. But, but Eric is definitely due for one in the near future. What do you got here? Anything we should finish up with? Any? 
burning questions or topics we haven't hit yet? Uh, so I said it, the, I think, the last show that I was here for when we were going on a stretch of two Butler games in a span of five games, including uh, at least three, maybe four of those on the road. That was an extremely important stretch for this team. But th- these next two, maybe even three games, I'll say, are, are extremely important for this Villanova team. Uh, you know, this week you got a very good Butler team and, like you said, a potential Final Four caliber Seton Hall team that National you need to Championship with. caliber is actually what I said. Yes, this is true. I, I <laughs> and they I are fi- my pick. If you make it to the Final Four, I figure you uh, you always have a chance to make the national title. But <laughs> regardless of yes. the semantics, this is an extremely important week for this team. It's going to be important to see. Uh, where we level up against a team like Seton Hall, quite honestly, and you know how we will react to going on the road to a Butler team. Um, and, and I'm very interested to see what's going to happen with that dyna- dynamic with Justin Moore and Cole Swider because it looks like those two guys are going in opposite directions, and I'm interested to see what Jay Wright does. Obviously, Moore is getting a little bit more time than Cole Swider, but let's see if Jay makes any changes to the starting lineup in this upcoming week. We shall see. Huge week. I see two losses personally. Two losses, three in a row, heading into another tough week. Could be tough for this team. I think their best chance to win the game is tomorrow on the road at Hinkle. Yeah, I'm I'm going to say one and one for the Cats. I'm going to say a win in Hinkle and uh, a loss Seton Hall at home. I think the, those, the front court is going to be too much for them. And, you know, Miles Powell is, is Miles Powell. So it, it'll be an interesting game. And, uh, We'll see what happens. We shall see. It was a good show here. I appreciate your time as always, Kev. An early one. So we'll give this one to the to the drive homers, if you will, checking us out on Facebook and Twitter. We appreciate that. We're always available after the fact on YouTube. We post our V's and O's segments separately as well. And then everything goes up on the SoundCloud page, SoundCloud page, that is, and uh, onto our iTunes playlist. So please like and subscribe. For Kevin Long, I'm Bob Long here from our Bluebell Studios. Thanks for watching, listening, and enjoying, everybody. And we'll see you next week here on the Villanova Basketball Report.